The reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in your Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready, for you still are controlled by sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one says, I'm a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants, through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. You may be seated. It's a good morning when we're able to come together, when we're able to worship, when we're able to gather around our God and His Word. I have already um, written this morning down as, a, uh, as an incredible, successful morning of worship between the songs that we're able to sing, between um, the prayers that we've prayed with each other, uh, the recognition that we've given to our, our veterans who we love, and uh, the thoughts that... that brought us and guided us through the Lord's Supper, um, I would say this is already a big green check mark for, uh, for me and my relationship with God. So all I've got to do is just ride the spiritual high and not mess anything up, and, and we'll all be okay coming into the time of the sermon. What I'd like for you to do is go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians if you're not already there, because we're going to be talking today about that famous verse and that famous phrase, um, the very last little verse that Hayes just read for us, that I, being Paul, um, planted the seed, Apollos watered the seed, but God gave the increase. And I believe that's the, that's the very thought that we um, hit on last week when we looked at like physically, literally, the harvest, that God is the one who provides it and God is the one who gives it. But keep in mind that the purpose behind God training His people up throughout the Old Testament to see Him as the giver of the physical harvest is for us to get to the New Testament and have passages just like this one where we can see that God wants us to realize that He is the one who gives us the, uh, the spiritual harvest. But next slide, I want us to also look at that verse and, and see within it um, that there is a reason why Paul wrote what he wrote. We love to preach the, you know, Paul planted in Apollos water, but God gave the increase. But there's a reason why he said what he said. And I don't know if you've ever found a part of something before and you just want to see where it comes from, so you follow it. Whether it be like a string or a cord or a pipe or a path, or whatever, whatever it might be. Like we see, we see a something, and we realize, well, this had to come from somewhere. And so, if we think about it, and as we wonder about it, and as we try to piece it together in our heads, our curiosity often gets the better of us, and we're left trace it back to its source. Whenever Sarah and I um, first bought our house and moved in there, if you've ever bought an old house before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You find a lot of things, right? You happen across a lot of things. 
there was a thing that we found in, in, our, in our yard that we were really curious about and we had to get to the bottom of it. Um, and it was an orange extension cord, just like the one that is in the picture behind you, uh, behind me, in front of you. And it was just a regular old Walmart, medium duty, orange extension cord. And what was interesting is that it was, it was, on, it was on the patio and then it kind of went into the old dryer vent into the, the, the garage. One end did, and it came out, and it went down the little patio, and then I looked, and it went into the ground. And I thought to myself, well, I mean, I'm not going to just leave it here. i got to figure out where this comes from. So me and my destructive nature, I just start pulling. Um, luckily, they only buried it about two inches in the ground, and it just started going. And comes to find out, it led all the way um, to a fountain that used to be in the yard. And the way that the fountain was powered and was plugged in was by a medium-duty Walmart extension cord that had been buried about three inches deep and ran up and through the dryer vent plugged into the garage. Can you say fire hazard? But anyway, um, I, I found it, and I had to get to the bottom of it. I had to find where it went, what it led to, and what all it plugged into. Now, when we talk about tracing things and finding, finding where they came from, I hope we're the same way as, as students of God's Word. I hope we're the same way whenever we approach the Bible and whenever we approach texts. Because in all reality, I'll tell you something, a um, little secret. It would be a thousand times easier as a preacher for me to just turn us to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and make our three points that Paul planted a Paul's water and God gave the increase. But that's not the purpose of the passage. That, that's not why God wrote what he wrote. We're picking up. That's a great verse. That's a bumper sticker verse, and that's a verse I hope you remember and can quote by the end of the day. But we're happening up on the middle of an extension cord. And in the same way that I can't help but not pull on it, I can't help but not pull on this verse and see where does it come from? What are we even talking about? And in the grand scheme, big picture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and us as Christians, what does it mean? What does it mean? And, and how should we read it? And why is it there? And let's find out. Because God's given us more than just a book of one-liners. He has given us this entire idea and this entire story. And so I hope, I hope you will, will pull on the extension cord with me um, all morning long. Because it's going to unearth and it's going to answer all of our questions. And it's going to answer all of our curiosities. Um, we just have to have, I guess, the time and the patience to follow it. Um, next slide. What Hayes read for us was a little bit of an insight into what was going on within the Corinthian um, church. And, and the whole first two chapters, if you want to take time and read the beginning of 1 Corinthians, is, is this just beautiful um, back and forth of Paul talking about the, the natural desires of the Corinthians compared to their spirituality that they have taken on by being followers of Jesus. And he shows them how those two things are, are oil and water. They're never going to mix. They're never going to align. They're never going to work together. They're always going to work against one another. And he's going to show them, like, listen guys, I'm about to talk to you, this is Paul to the Corinthians, I'm about to talk to you about a lot of the problems 
problems that you're having and a lot of the struggles that you're dealing with and a lot of the tensions that are going on in your life, but if you can't see the root of them, if you can't see that all of that is coming from you caving into natural worldly desires and old worldly pagan ways, because keep in mind, these are very new, very young Christians coming out of a Corinthian um, pagan idolatrous world. He said, if you're going to keep giving in to that, then there's not much I can do for you. If, if you're not going to chase after the spiritual over the natural, then there's not, not much fixing to be done. But if you can recognize that as the problem, then here is how, how your taking on of spirituality and putting off of your natural desires um, can play into each part of your worship and each part of your life, and we have the rest of the book. Um, but this is where things kind of come to a head, because Paul lays out for them that, hey guys, you are divided, and that is not a good thing, okay? Um, we often, we often um, ha have a, a phrase that we use whenever maybe we mess up, or whenever we sin, or whenever we um, fall short, is we think to ourselves, well, I mean, it's just natural, isn't it? Like, it's, it's just natural for me to be really, really mad about that. And it's just natural for me to give them a piece of my mind and lash out at them. And it's just natural for, for me um, to treat them in that way after they treated me that way. It's, it's just natural. Um, I remember, uh, I guess it was this past week, two weeks ago, something like that, that uh, I tried that, actually. Sarah was talking about her day, um, and you know, now that she's a full-time school teacher, uh, we get a good, like, 20, 30 minutes to see each other between coming home and going to bed. It's great. And marriage and, and work, which is wonderful. Um, but anyway, those 20 to 30 minutes, we were talking about just our days, and she was telling me about her day um, and some other teacher stuff and things that were going on um, and she said you know um, I, and I just I don't I don't know I don't know that I, I should have handled that that way um, which you all know Sarah like it was something that none of us would have thought twice about doing or saying but she was worried about it but that's not the point point. Um, and I remember I looked at her and I said well I mean honey I think I think some of that's just natural sometimes and she said no but it shouldn't be and I think sometimes when we talk about our own struggles and our own sins and when we mess up, we, we sometimes fall back on that. Don't we? Well, it, it's just natural to handle it that way or to talk about it that way or to think about it that way. But we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Paul says, and that's the problem. That's the problem. That, that Corinthians, you continue to think that it's just natural to act. We're just natural to operate that way. Well, it's just human nature. He said the entire purpose of Jesus coming and dying was for you to see that what is just natural is not what's meant for you. There's something so much more. There's something so much better. And he goes to show them that you're not being a spiritual people as long as you're doing what just comes naturally. You're not. You can't do both. He said in order for you to be a spiritual people, you have to put that off. You have to take on something more. A relationship with Christ that changes the way we interact. That changes the way we talk. That changes everything. And when he talks to this church, there is a level of strife within it. And he's trying to show them, and a level of division within it. And he's trying to show them, uh, guys, the, the presence of... Of, of that division and, and all that tension is just a sign and just an indication of an abundance of naturality and a lack of spirituality. 
He said, there's no, no, nothing else that you can attribute it to. Whenever you are looking at each other and arguing and divided and splitting, then I assure you that you could say it's this or that or the other, but bare bones boil it down. It comes back to not near enough spiritual people and way too many natural people operating in a church that is meant to be full of, of spiritual people. And they were, the, the Paul goes on to show them. So we get to this whole, you know, Paul, I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. But the whole reason that he says that is he shows them, you're even divided. You're even divided over who brought you to Jesus. You're divided over who you learned under. And the reason, I think next slide, the reason that that is a problem, the reason why that is a problem is because when you came to Christ, that is supposed to be the most important and the most unifying thing about you. But you, Corinthians, have found a way to divide over it. And if you can divide over that, <laughs> you divide over anything. I ask you this, church, um, show of hands, we're being all interactive this morning, show of hands, how many of you remember um, Robert Crabtree that used to preach here? And just out of curiosity, um, keep your hand up if you were maybe brought to Christ by Robert Crabtree. Mm. Maybe Jim Morgan. Anybody remember Jim Morgan used to preach here? Anybody brought to Christ by Jim Morgan? Mm. Imagine if you looked at other people within this room, and we could go, we could go Jerry Merson and everybody raise their hand, that's no fun, um, and, but well, actually if you wouldn't, and then we could do Cameron Miller, but that'd be even less fun, right, um, imagine for a moment, if you were at odds with somebody else, because, well I learned it, I learned it under Jim, and that's not, that's not exactly the same way that Jim went about teaching it, he went to this verse, then this verse, and that verse, but you're starting here and then going to that one again, and that isn't even right, well, I learned Robert, and that's not that's not exactly how he went about it, and that's not exactly how he taught it. Well, I learned it under Jerry. People don't have it right. You don't remember because of this, guys, guys. If if we divide over the one who took us by the hand and got us to the foot of the cross, if we're divided over where we came to know Jesus from, then, then we're going to be divided about everything. We're going to be at odds about everything, strive about everything. And that's what Paul's talking about when he says, when he gets to this verse where he says, I just planted the seed, Apollos just watered the seed, God's the one that gave the increase. What he's trying to teach them and what he's trying to show them is you are divided over things that you shouldn't be. And he's, he's pretty stern with them. Um, next slide. Paul is the type um, that, that sets things straight and tries to smooth things over. And he tells them, I'm having to talk to you so forward and so direct. Because you probably, and during the middle of Scripture reading, um, if you were... And especially depending on where your Christian background is, you're thinking to yourself... Paul's being really mean to those guys. Like, I, can't, I woke up this Sunday morning and I, I kind of wanted to hear something about, you know, love and joy. And thankfulness is the series, preacher. It should be a whole lot more smiles and a whole lot less of that because I, I never took Paul as like the mean type. Okay, listen, church. 
Um, he even goes as far as to say, he explains himself. Like Paul explains why he's talking the way he's talking. He said, listen, I'm, I'm having to talk to you like children because you're so young in your faith and you're so in the, trying to be in the middle of, of being worldly people and being spiritually people. He said, I'm talking to you like children because you know what? When you beat around the bush with young little kids, what do they Get it. <laughs> Okay, if, if you if you try to insinuate what you want or hint at what you want, nine times out of ten, ninety nine times out of hundred, you're not going to get what you want, are you? Because with children, got to be direct, and that's okay sometimes. And Paul is telling them in a very we're going about to show that Paul does it in a constructive way, not a destructive way. He's not belittling them. He's not talking down to them. He's being very straight with them and explaining. I'm having to do this because the way that you're treating each other. He said, if you're dividing over who brought you to Jesus, that is, that is um, an indication of you being divided on a billion other things that you shouldn't be. And Paul's about to spend the next 15 chapters on all of them. But he says that, listen, I'm talking to you this way for a purpose. But he doesn't just say, you're doing everything wrong. Okay, church? He doesn't just say, this, 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 this is messed up. And I'm upset about it. He's not destructive by tearing down what they're doing. He's constructive by telling them what they should be doing. And I, I know that's not the point of what we're talking about this morning, but boy, I wish more people in this world would be like Paul. I do. And maybe sometimes me. I wish I would be, I would be more like Paul when it comes to that. I think sometimes whenever we're at work or whenever we're at church or whenever we're with friends, we see something that we don't, don't like or that we have a problem with, um, and we quickly... This, this, this is wrong, and here's the reason why. And guess what, church? You might be right. <laughs> I might be right in what I'm upset about. We might be, we might be the ones in the green and in the right. But here, here's, here, if all we know how to do is be destructive, then don't get upset when all you see is destructive results. You can't approach a situation with just a destructive mentality and walk away with something good. If all that's going through our mind is how to tear something down, then that's all that's going to happen. But if we can change, if we can approach it like Paul, and, not, and, and notice, when I say approach it like Paul, I'm not saying put on kid gloves. Paul, Paul called him out and said, you're acting like children, and that's wrong. Like, Paul was as straight as straight, and Paul was as harsh as harsh. I'm not saying to teddy bear and, and rainbow the mess. What I'm saying is, don't just go in there and be destructive. Be like Paul. Be straight and be honest, but say, this is the problem, and here is the solution. Because when we start acting constructive with things, and we start acting constructive with issues, that's when change starts happening. That's when things start getting resolved. That's when things start getting fixed and author of it. Paul was best at it. Notice, he doesn't just say, and y'all are jealous and y'all are strife and you're of the flesh and you're behaving only in way. End of verse 3. No, he goes on and he says, listen, guys, it's not, it's not about this division 
Let's pick up in verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor waters, um, nor he who waters is anything, but God is who gives the growth. Verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are fellow work, God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He encourages them. He builds them up, and He shows them. He shows them. This is how you Fix the problem you're dealing with. Oh, I love it. Because sometimes we do, we're the same. Sometimes we're the same as the Corinthians. Sometimes we're divided. Sometimes we have issues. But it goes to show, and this is kind of how all this ties into thankfulness and the harvest. Next slide is we're about to walk through and see. Um, you know, when it comes to the spiritual harvest, and it's, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect that today um, we're taking time to have a lunch to appreciate all those who are involved in ministries um, because I hope we see this and I hope we realize this, that you know um, our God is the one who gives the increase. It's not us. And this passage, verses 7, 8, and 9, are about to teach us all about seeing, seeing our work and seeing the work of the church the way that Paul did. And it being something that brings us closer together, uplifting ourselves, that's when we're going to truly start to see a harvest. That's when we're truly going to start reaping God's harvest, when we see more of Him working and less of us. Next slide, verse 7. So what I want us to, to wrap our minds around, as you have verse 7 in front of you, and as you're rereading, Paul says, so neither he who plants, talking about himself, nor he who waters, talking about Apollos, is anything but God is everything. Saying what might divide us, saying who brought us to, to Christ, what church, what you're dividing over is not the point, is not the purpose. For God is. For God is the most, most important. I, I love that. Oh, I, I adore that. When we look at it, read it again. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. For God's everything. You know, Sometimes what I need to do and sometimes what we need to do is stop seeing the works of, of people when it comes to God's harvest and when it comes to God's kingdom and start seeing the works of Him. And that might seem really simple, but, but let's break it down for a moment. You know, there's some um, in, in the, the greater religious world um, that have gotten in some trouble and have really uh, harmed, harmed the, the church and, and harmed their church um, by approaching, uh, approaching with the mentality of saying, you know, there's really nothing that we can do. It's, it's 100% on God. If, somebody, if somebody's going to be saved, it's just going to happen. If his church is going to grow, it's just going to happen. Like God's just going to do it. If they're going to be, if they're going to be fed with God's word, then God is just going to inject it into their mouths. Um, and and I, I just worry. I worry because I read a great commission that the very first word in it is to go. Uh, I worry because I watch a New Testament church that what do they do? They, they go and they, they spread God's Word. They have conversations. They help people. They go out. And you know, all that we've done, we've literally turned the world upside down. We've literally changed everything that we know about the Roman Empire. Look at all that we've accomplished. But they don't, do they? They don't. They see themselves the way that Paul did. 
For we just planted and watered seeds. God is the one that blessed us. God is the one that gave, gave increase. It's all in Him. And I, I love that. I love that. I also, I think sometimes when we talk about this conversation of maybe what we do compared to what God does, it can, it can really tempt us. And, and here it is, church. Um, some, of you, some of you need to be given more. And I'm not talking about monetarily. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your efforts. Um, and you know, that's, that's hard, hard for me to say, even though I say it so easily. Um, some of you are, are giving your job and your family and, and everything that is a good thing um, so much more than, than our God. And it's, it's a problem. Um, but you know what? In that same conversation, there's some that are given everything but not seeing God in it. And I think that's just as big of a problem. Because automatically, what Satan's going to try to do is try to keep every single one of us out of God's field and out of working and tending for God's kingdom. And if you're in that spot and he can keep you out of that field, he has got you exactly where he wants you, whether you're sitting here on Sunday or not. I tell you what. But guess what? If he has you in the field, if he, if he can't keep you on the couch, if he can't keep you out of the field, if he can't keep you out of the game, he is going to try to get you to see so much of you that you can't even see Jesus anymore. More. He is going to try to get us to see everything that we are doing and nothing that God is doing. He is going, if He can't keep us out of God's field, He is going to do everything He can do to keep us arrogant. Because if He's got us working for our Lord and arrogant about it and only seeing ourselves, He has got us in just as good of a spot as the person doing nothing. Notice what Paul said. For, for the one who plants and the one who waters is nothing but only God who gives increase. And I'll tell you this, church, I'm as bad about it as anybody. You know why? I've been tickled to death over the past two months, two months and two weeks, um, that we have seen an influx of, of visitors and people that have come in, um, some looking for a church home, some um, looking for, for some kind of help as they're going through a hardship in this physical life. I've watched you um, love on them, and I have praised you and prayed about you for that. I've watched you drive buses for them, and I just, I love that you're tired and you're sacrificing your time because you know what's important. Um, I've, I have praised our elders for changing the way we go about it, even though it will be easier to keep things the same, changing the way we go about it to not just feed people physically, but get them in here and feed them spiritually. Um, but I haven't praised God enough for bringing them through those doors. I haven't thanked God enough for being, being present in you in all those conversations and all those moments. I haven't thanked God enough. And if we can be the type of people that see our God more than we see ourselves, you will see a dramatic change in His kingdom at Lafayette you'll see a dramatic change in the way He is working in you and through you. You will see things be flipped just upside down. Because one, it takes the pressure off of us when our focus is on God. We don't have to worry about us messing up or us saying the wrong. We're just planting and watering. But it also does this um, when it is, is 
above our head and we place it completely and totally on our God, not only does it take the, the pressure of messing up away, it also takes the pressure of us becoming arrogant away from us because we only totally, fully see Him. You know what? Uh, if a farmer has a bad year, I would like to find somebody who would walk up to them when it was dry and it just didn't rain. And he did everything he could do and it just didn't grow. I'd like to find one person that in their right mind would go up to him and say, well, what'd you have a bad year for? What'd you have a bad crop for? What'd you have a bad harvest for? Because all of us know and all of us realize he did everything that he could do. But in the same way, church, God did increase. And sometimes it fluctuates and sometimes that increase is different in different seasons and times of life. But it's above His head. I hope Christians, I wish Christians, I hope we can, verse 7, see it the same way. It's above, it's above our head. We keep planning. We keep watering. We keep doing. But He is the one that gives increase. He is the one that has brought souls to Christ. He is the one that has changed hearts. He is the one that has gotten people in the water to commit their lives to live for. He is the one. We're just planting and we're just watering. And that takes off pressure and it works both ways. It makes it not so stressful on us to worry. It also takes the pressure of us becoming arrogant and full of ourselves off. But it keeps us going and it keeps us working in the exact same way that we look at maybe a farmer. Next slide, verse 8. Um, just, but keep in mind, that Paul says, Paul says, I am nothing and God is everything. Paul says, Apollos is nothing and God is everything. But I don't want you to get this mindset, guys. I don't want us to think that just we aren't anything in grand scheme and in comparison with our God that we don't do anything. Okay? I don't want us to get the wrong mindset as to say, well, he's exactly right. God does everything. We need to take a step back and throw our hands up and hands off. He's just going to do. I believe God's going to work and I believe God's going to do. But in the same way, find me a farmer that walks out to his field and says, man, there's no corn out here. You ask him, well, what would you do? I mean, what, what do you mean what did I do? I didn't do anything because God just grows it. It just does. Just because we see God as the everything doesn't mean we don't do anything. Verse 8, it reads, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Church, what I want us to realize in this verse um, is, is this. One, that idea that we already talked about of just saying, well, God... God wants to bring him in, he'll bring him in. Um, I don't believe that's true. I don't think we would be very effective planters or waters, both of which we're called to be, if that was our mindset. I think we need to be outwardly minded. I think we need to be looking at bringing people to the foot of the cross. I think we need to be inviting people. I think we need to be bringing people not just to church, but into our lives, into our homes, into deep conversations, um, and, and into uncomfortable conversations, because that's where we grow. Um, but here it is, church, verse 8 and he will be paid his wages according to his labor. <clears throat> this, is, um, this is the hard part of this morning. And uh, I, I, I preach, and when I do, I have to work the tension and walk the tightrope of balancing what people want to hear and what people need to hear. And when I come to verses like this, it makes me very glad 
that we preach from the text at the Lafayette Church of Christ. Because if I just preached what I wanted to preach, I never would have preached this this morning. Um, but it was what was in front of me. Uh, and if, it, if God says it, it needs to be said. When we look at that verse, each laborer will be paid according to his labor. Each, each laborer will receive wages based on his labor. I want you to finish a statement for me that you all know, church. You don't work, you don't... I'll tell you what, I've heard a lot of people that I'm close with, a lot of people I love, a lot of people I'm friends with, a lot of people I'm really not friends with, talk about that a lot. Talk about, you know, the system's messed up and the system's broken. Using it, I just think it'd all be a much better world if we let people starve for a minute. Let them starve for a minute, they'll get up and they'll start working. And is that true for some people? Yeah, probably. Absolutely. <laughs> is that true for everybody? No. Sure isn't. Is it something that we need to be mindful about what we say and who we say it to because we don't know where they've been and we don't know what they've been through? Yeah, probably. We should be, as Christians, we should be mindful of what we say and how we say them to people. But the hardest pill for me to swallow is this, church. Look back to verse 8. You don't work. You don't eat. And the thing that troubles me most and the thing that worries me most is looking at Christians that are signing up for Christian welfare. They don't want to work, but they're all for showing up for some blessings. I'm not actually willing to do anything for you, God, but salvation would be great. Actually, give of myself and sacrifice? I don't know, I don't know about that. I got to like go But if you could heal my grandma, that would be sweet. Now, you want me to do what? My time. You want me to cancel my hobbies or my church? You want me to give in this area? Lord, I'm sorry. I just don't have any more left in me. Lord, I'm sorry. I just, I just got this thing in my back and I can't. Lord, I'm sorry. I just don't have the time for you. And you know what's sad? Is I watch those same people look out at a work work and say, man, I wish we'd just let them starve a little bit and they'd do better. <laughs> oh, it breaks my heart. All the while, when it comes to their spiritual walk, when it comes to their relationship with their God, they're first in line. I got an excuse as the reason why I can't, I can't be here. I got an excuse as the reason why I can't. Um, give of my time. I got an excuse is the reason why I've got talents, but I want to use them somewhere else instead of giving them to my God. The reason I've got an excuse. Fill in whatever. Blood. What? Come verse eight. Come verse eight. You can have the most dazzling, most plausible, most logical application that you want. Verse eight. Labor is going to be paid as wages. Labor is going to be paid as wages. And I don't know if that applies to you or not. I don't know if that strikes you or not. I don't know if that means anything to you, but I, I, I can assure you this. <laughs> I can assure you this. One of the hardest things in the world is looking in the mirror for me. One of the hardest things in the world is asking tough questions. 
for me. One of the hardest things in the world is saying, you know, does God look at me the same way I look at a lot of those people that don't want to work, but they sure do want to eat? Does God look at me that way? And am I okay with that? And He will be paid His wages according to His labor. Verse 9. It doesn't end negatively, luckily, as we conclude this and wrap this up where Paul encourages us by telling us we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. We, the church, are God's field. If we're willing to work it, if we're willing to tend it, if we're willing to pour out our, our time and our effort and our sweat on something that will last an eternity, church, over something that is going to rot or burn one, on this earth, if we will invest in something that is, is eternal instead of temporal, something that is spiritual instead of physical, invest in something that is going to make a difference in where somebody spends heaven or where somebody spends hell, then God's going to give the increase. And He's already promised it, verse 9. He's already given it. He's already handed it. For we are God's field. And if He's got workers in His field, it's going to grow. Oh, it's going to grow. But we just have to have workers that are willing to work. We have to have workers that are willing to bring in the harvest. We've got to have workers that ask, you know, am I in the field, in God's field, tending it? Am I having conversations with people? Am I inviting people? Am I looking and seeking out visitors? Am I asking them to lunch? Am I asking them about their relationship with God? Am I walking? up to the person that I've known for a billion years and instead of asking them if they watch the game, asking them how their life is going and how I can pray for them. Am I at work in God's field? And you know, verse 7, am I applying for a recognition award? Am I upset when people don't see all that I'm doing? Or do I just want people to see God and not see Paul or Paulus? I just want people to see God and not see the planting and the water and I'm due. I just want people to see God. Verse 8, though, are we not applying for a recognition award? Are we applying for uh, benefits? Where God, I, know, I, got a, I got a whole lot going on right now, and that's the reason I'm really not doing much anything for, for you or my relationship for you. But if, if, you could, if you could just lock me in eternally, if you could just answer my prayers always, if you could just give me what I ask for, I, I give you my word, God. The moment I retire, I'm all in. I give you my word, God. The moment my kids are out of the house, I got you. The moment some things free up and I get this promotion and I'm not running ragged anymore, you and me. But until, until then, you know, if you could supplement me along the way, that'd be great. Verse 9, looking at, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. We are His workers, past, present, future tense. Not just past tense, church. Because I believe the third thing that people often like to apply for, if they ain't applying for a recognition award and they ain't applying for welfare, I love you to death. And I know it's hard because I'm young and I don't understand you. A lot of Christians want to apply for retirement. Want to say, you know, God, I've had 40 long years of teaching and leading singing, and deaconing, and eldering. I've had a long, long time of cooking, and giving, 
and visiting and calling. If I could just ride this out, that'd be awesome. If I could just ride this out, I can't wait to see you in eternity. I worry, though. I worry that those that have the strongest faith and those that have the greatest influence because of their wisdom and because of their age and because of all they've been through are, are holding it all in and keeping it right there in their little retirement Christian retirement community when we've got a world that's in need of you, in need of what you've been through, a church that's in need of you, and how deep of roots you have in Jesus. The hard question is this, and it's the question that I don't present that 1 Corinthians 3 does, because believe me, we wouldn't have preached any of this if we weren't in 1 Corinthians 3 this morning. Do we struggle wanting to apply for a recognition award? Do we struggle wanting to apply for Christian welfare? Do we struggle wanting to apply for early retirement? And all the while asking God for uh, Him to give and to sacrifice when He's already given and already sacrificed His Son. If you need something, I want God to be able to fulfill it. If you want to pray, I want us to be able to pray it. If you, if you want to be saved, I want us to take the book that is in your hand and show you the way the New Testament did it and us do it the way they did it. Waters of baptism. But I, we can't meet needs. The church here can't meet needs we don't know about. I love you. Let us love on you as we stand and as we sing.